eyes, bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of gathering together as family. Thank you for moments like this, evenings like this, Father, times that you've set aside from eternity past, Father, to do this thing, just to dine on the very bread of life, to be edified by it, to be built up by it, to be encouraged by it, Father. What a grace gift a moment like this, an evening like this really is. May we never become familiar with it, but rather enjoy it for what it is, an expression of your love. Father, we pray for those in the congregation that can't be with us, and we pray most of all in this moment also for those that are still lost, that they might be humbled and receive saving faith before it's too late, Father. We're most grateful and thankful for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make a moment like this of rejoicing a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. All right. Proverbs 17, Wisdom, Part 16. Uh, Let's begin uh, quickly with a review of our labor from Sunday up here on the board. Uh, Be careful what you treasure. This has been a theme now for weeks. Um, For obvious reasons, I suppose, really from the outset of Proverbs 17, wisdom. Uh, Be careful what you treasure. If we treasure a counterfeit, we suffer for it. So it's not, I hope, honest to goodness, I hope you all realize that this isn't about me just cracking the whip or, you know, the, the shepherd's rod just, you know, boom, boom, boom. This isn't, this is, this is just clearing the, clearing the air for you, clearing your heads, just clearing it out. Um, the world has you for, what, 23 hours a day. I get you twice a week, and then if you're reading the blogs, maybe an extra 15 minutes to 30 minutes or something like that. I don't know, whatever. There's just so much to be cleared out. Um, So just take it for what it is. It's a grace gift. I know they're hard lessons. Trust me. They go through this soul first, okay? They go through this vessel first, and they, (laughs) trust me, they kind of sit there for a while. You know, the three, four days before a message comes out, he's got a lot going every day. Oh, yeah, you should bring that out in the message. You should think about this, uh, you know, Mr. Shepherd, right? You should don't hold back here, uh, push there. All that kind of stuff is constantly inside this vessel. So don't think you're alone. Um, If you have the right perspective, it's beautiful. It's difficult, but it's beautiful. So with that said, again, be careful what you treasure. If we treasure a counterfeit, we suffer for it. Um, The Spirit spent a lot of time on the topic of self-esteem last time up here on the board. The sources of counterfeit self-esteem, not an exhaustive list, but certainly one that I would think resonates with every American person in here. Uh, your education, where do you draw your self-esteem from, in other words? Or might you look at some of these items and say honestly that you might be a little puffed up, I don't know, you might be a little bit too much, too full. Uh, You might, uh, what, point to yourself as the cause of these things attribute these things to yourself, in other words. That's the danger. Education, there's some smart people in here. Educated people, work, people with good jobs, people that make good money, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Are you puffed up? Do you think that came from you? Do you think you're worthy? How about your appearance or your dress? Uh, Here's a slick one, your kindness. Your niceness, your sweetness, is that your uh, go-to for self-esteem? Well, at least I'm nice. (laughs) You're also arrogant. 
right? Well, at least I'm this, and you know, I'm, I'm nice, I'm kind. There's nothing wrong with being nice, kind, or sweet. That's not the point. But if that's what builds up or edifies your, quote, self-esteem, you might want to evaluate it because you're in bondage to it. Your reputation, your accomplishments, your, quote, successes. And then, of course, maybe the kingdom of darkness is favorite, maybe, your religion. You know, I'm a this, I'm a that, I go to this church, I go to that church, I'm whatever. You know how it goes. If any of those things contribute to your self-esteem, instead of, I, I always compare that to Christ-esteem, right? To your self-esteem. If any of those things contribute to it, that's what the Spirit's saying. Take a good long look at these things in your life. So I'm certain, if you look at this list, I'm, I'm certain everyone in here can relate at some level. Um, Here's our proper perspective. Go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. Again, Paul writes our proper perspective. What about these things? I mean, can you be educated? Sure. Can you have a good job? Sure. Can you look good? Sure. Can you be kind and nice? Sure. Can you have a reputation? Sure. I'm supposed to have a good reputation uh, in the community as a pastor, remember. So these things aren't evil in themselves. It's just like money. It's not that money's evil. It's the love of money. It's what you think of the blessing, so-called blessing, right? 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's the message. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, this is Paul, Toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So Paul's writing from a humble perspective up here on the board. Here's our review of Scripture we noted on Sunday. First, Romans 12:3. up here on the board. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. How about 1 Corinthians 3, 6-7 up here on the board? 1 Corinthians 3, 6-7, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. That's a good reminder to folks that stand behind pulpits uh, or, you know, might have a, a, you know, evangelistic type gift or something like that. As soon as that person <laughs> says, look at how many people I have or I've evangelized or this kind, as soon as that happens, they've already departed. They've already started down the road. You understand? They've already departed from Understanding the likes of 1 Corinthians 3, 6 to 7, uh, you should never be puffed up, which is why the Word of God quite adamantly states that uh, I should never put someone behind this pulpit that isn't ready. Because they have, the first thing that happens is they get puffed up. The very first, because you know what happens, right? Ah, oh, great job, great. And then, you know, after like the third or fourth pat on the back, they're like, Right? Also, on another hand, it's their own hand. Oh, yeah, you are kind of special. You are kind of slick, right? You did do a great job up there. Oh, my God. Scott's laughing, right? Um, it's true. That's why I have to be extremely careful who I put behind this pulpit. Uh, what about 1 Corinthians 4-7 up here on the board? For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive from God? Uh, if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? In other words, if it came from you. Why do you say it came from you? What do you have, honestly? What do you have that isn't from God? What? Your car? Who, got, who gave it to you? That's his. Your home? That's his. Uh, I don't know. You pick whatever it is. It's his. He gave it to you. If he didn't want to give it to you, you wouldn't have it. 
unless the kingdom of darkness is pulling a fast one on you. But that's a whole other line of thinking. How about, lastly, up here on the board, 2 Corinthians 3, 4 to 5. Such is the confidence, uh, also known as self-confidence or self-esteem, that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Such is the confidence, our self-confidence, our self-esteem. This is in a good way. Like I said on Sunday, I think, there's nothing wrong with self-esteem as long as it's rightly placed, as long as it's in Christ Jesus, as long as that's where we derive our sense of self from, our sense of value from. See, there's a good side to this too. It's not just a beatdown. It also reminds you of where you should go to derive your value from. Isn't that wonderful to know that Jesus Christ is the source of your value? Think about that that you have him as, as your, um, I don't know how to say it, your benefactor, your, he's right there with you. He's saying, you're, you're good because I'm good, right? You're mine. You're one of mine. Um, hopefully that makes sense. I think I just did a terrible job teaching that. but <laughs> That's where you should derive your self-confidence from, from Christ. So there's nothing wrong with self-confidence. So don't get into that weird religious, oh, me, oh, my, oh, shucks, and you kick in the sand, because that's false humility, which is really arrogance. Anyways, just make sure that you understand where your self-confidence derives from. Go to Philippians 2.13. Philippians 2.13. Just one more passage before we close up on this thought. Philippians 2.13. Again, the Spirit just has a lot to say about this topic of self-esteem and where we derive it from. Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Who's working in you? God is. It is God who works in you. Again, the key principle uh, really is captured by Paul up here on the board in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10 which reads, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, to see how very insidious this error can be, we looked at one of the most humble human beings of all that we know of um, in the Bible, which was King David. From his youth, he was apparently quite a humble uh, person from his youth even. And again, I I need you, especially new folks, I need you to understand that humility is not our shucks. Humility is where we derive all our power from. Right? Don't, Don't mistake meekness for weakness type thing. Humility is powerful. Humility is what makes us strong. The world sees it differently. And if you're playing that game, you, 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 you know, you do that aw shucks thing. Um, that's false humility which makes you actually weak. But true humility, like David had, made him very strong. He drew whatever strength and conviction he had from the Lord. Isn't that what we just read? That's where we derive our confidence from. He drew it from the Lord, which made him extremely strong in even just his presence and his convictions. So he's a wonderful example for all of us to be encouraged by, up here in the board, I call it the secret. I put it in, you know, quotes because it's not really a secret, but, you know, the secret to strength is humility. That's a paradox for most people, especially an unbeliever. An unbeliever is going to look at that and go, no way. I know that guy down the street. He's the humble one who, you know, the aw shucks guy. I used to pick on him when he was a kid. I used to just push him around. He was weak. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about worldly uh, humility. I'm talking about Christ-like humility. Who was stronger than Jesus? No one. No one. Who was more humble? No one. The secret to strength is humility. Humility is our greatest source of strength and courage. Remember, I always define courage as just applied faith. Right? Just like when we read with David, he went and took the, uh, the lion and the bear. Why? Because he had faith that the Lord was with him. Just like if you go up to someone and try to evangelize them, you have faith that the Lord is with you 
And so you have that courage to do it. You may be uncomfortable, but you have the courage to do it. And God will give you faith in due time, so you can't force it either, because he apportions each a measure of faith. Again, humility is our greatest source of strength and courage. In other words, applied faith. Why? Because we put the onus of victory on the Lord's strength instead of our own. And that's beautiful. That's what I was trying to say before. Where's the victory in your self-esteem even? On Christ. I don't want my self-esteem to depend on anything that I think or do. Because <laughs> I suck. Jesus is awesome. He's perfect. He's magnificent. If I can borrow from that, if that's how I live my life in Christ Jesus, then that's where, I find my, that's where I'm going to find my victory too. Uh, because this thing never holds up. Never. I try. I get arrogant. I try for a moment. And then it fails, and I let myself down. I let everybody else down around me. And the whole while, I should have never been doing that in the first place. It's just a ruse. Again, humility is our greatest source of strength and courage. Why? Because we put the onus of victory on the Lord's strength instead of our own. This principle is something we just saw in Holy Scripture that we just surveyed. Uh, now, with that said, let's quickly review what we noted on Sunday with David as a boy when he took on Goliath, the Philistine. Go to 1 Samuel 17.4. We're going to jump around quickly. 1 Samuel 17.4. Samuel 17, verse 4. We're just going to look at this quickly. <clears throat> First, uh, first Samuel 17.4. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. That's nine feet, nine inches tall, which would have been even bigger then than now. Verse 5. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. That's 78 pounds. That's a lot of weight, folks. Verse 6, And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. That's 15 pounds. And I gave you something to think about. An Olympic man's shot put weighs only 16 pounds. Okay? And his shield bearer went before him. Now, before Sean left, he had to correct me. He said, he did it very respectfully. I've got to give him credit. He goes, you know, Dad, he goes, that spear, he didn't throw it. That was, you know, have you ever seen a Roman with the spear? The javelin he threw. All right? I stood corrected. Because on Sunday I said, oh, imagine, you know, they threw it 80-something feet, right, with the assumption that he was throwing that thing. Yeah, he didn't throw it. What are you going to do? <laughs> Next slide, please. Stop laughing back there. It's tough when you get corrected by your 19-year-old kid. Right? Anyways, you've got to be humble. The spearhead was 15 pounds. The shaft was weaver's beam. That's just a scale, so that's probably a regular-sized dude, right? Look how big it is. See? And there's a the shadow is a Goliath, presumably, in the background. And that guy's, you know, that's a normal-sized person today. How about verse 10? Verse 10. <clears throat> and the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now jump forward to verse 26. So the story progresses. We pretty much know the story. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall uh, be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of the living God. So David is upset. Rightfully so. But he seems to be the only one who's getting like, you know, who's not shaking in their boots and running away. Look at verse 32. Verse 32. Remember, David was, you know, uber, let's say, humble. Super humble. That's what gave him this strength. Verse 32, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this, with this Philistine. So little David, gigantuous Goliath. 
but he has faith. Verse 37, And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Verse 46, Verse 46, This day the Lord will deliver you, Goliath, into my, David speaking, hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. So David's perfectly oriented to the truth. Verse 50 now. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. And that refers back to verse 47, of course. So this reminds me of, of the story of Gideon. Uh, when Gideon defeated tens of thousands of Midianites with just 300 people. The moral of that story up here on the board. At the beginning of that story in Judges 7, verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the, the Midianites into their hand, uh, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. You see, with the Lord, that's why the Lord kept whittling it down to 300 people. Gideon started with a sizable army, could have, you know, gone in there with respectable numbers. And God said, you're so arrogant. I know that if, if, if you win with that number of people, you're all going to be like, yeah, we're the best. We did this. And I'm not going to get any credit. <laughs> so I've got to take this all away. I've got to whittle it down to like some, you know, tiny number, just so you'll remember whose victory this was. And that's the same idea that we just saw with David over Goliath, right? I mean, think about that. David's little, giant Goliath. Gideon, little army, giant Midianite army. The Lord never wants us to forget who delivers who into whose hand. He never wants us to forget who's doing the delivering, who's doing the conquering. You didn't conquer that job. You didn't conquer that obstacle course. You didn't conquer anything without him. You got it? That's all he wants. As soon as you think you did those things, that's when you start barrel rolling down the hill in arrogance. As we noted earlier, David was strong in his confrontation with Goliath because of one thing, humility. Again, up here on the board, this, quote, secret to possessing strength Humility is our greatest source of strength and courage, which is really applied faith. Why? Because we put the onus of victory on the Lord's strength instead of our own. And that's exactly where it should be. That's perfect. That's what humility looks like. Humility says, I can't do this on my own. I need you, Lord. I need you to win this for me. I need your strength because I can't do this. As soon as I put it in myself, yeah, it might last for a little while, but eventually I crash and burn. I need you to do it. That's what humility looks like. And because he's so powerful, omnipotent, right? He can do anything. And if it's his victory to be won, guess what? And you're a part of it, you win. If it's not, you go walk away and go, maybe I was fighting a wrong, maybe I was fighting a battle because of my flesh. We'll get into that in a moment. As we've learned in the Bible, even the most humble among us fail. David certainly did. The crux of the issue was that he had forgotten where he'd come from. It happens to the best of us. Um, has this ever happened to you? Instead of, you know, throwing stones at David and going, yeah, he, you know, he failed. How about you? Have you ever forgotten where you came from? Have you gotten puffed up thinking, you know, yeah, I am kind of special. Up here on the board, remember how you got here. Once you think you've, quote, arrived, be careful you don't forget where you came from and who exactly sanctified you. David forgot and ultimately suffered dearly. You might just be miserable because of this one reason. 
you've become familiar, entitled, arrogant, you name it. 1 Samuel 17, 1 Chronicles 21. Remember how you got here. We don't need to read uh, 1 Chronicles 21 again to know that David's pride got in the way of his, what we would call typical humility. Again, I ask you, has this ever happened to you? Maybe you are a relatively humble person. I mean, I like to think I am for the most part at this point in my life, um, but I certainly fail. How about you? Are you relatively humble most of the time, but every so often you fail? Um, how about this? In case you're saying, yeah, no. <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm searching, trying here, but I'm just so good. Has your, has your pride, think about it. David had an issue with pride, obviously. Number my army. I want to see how big it is. We're awesome. Has your pride ever gotten in the way of your humility? Here's a quick test to see if you've ever failed, and be honest. Have you ever been minding your own business, and someone slanders you? I mean, really goes after you. Maybe even publicly. You know what I'm talking about? Where someone, like, goes after you, and they start saying stuff that's not true about you. I mean, really goes after you in public. And, you know, just to add insult to injury, people start laughing and mocking you based on someone else's slander. You know that scene? Everybody getting kind of uncomfortable already? Who likes that scene? Well, you're the butt end of the joke, or you're even worse. You're not, it's not even a joke. They're, they're basically slandering you. Think about that. Does your pride get wounded? Do you react like Jesus did? Up here on the board, Matthew 5.39. Matthew 5.39. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Those are the words of Jesus. Do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. You know what I'm doing, right? I'm just, I'm just trying to force you to admit that you all have pride that doesn't like to be attacked. You're all proud of something, right? You're all proud of something. Oh, you only have that job because you slept with the boss. Or you flirted with him. Or you did his lawn. Or you, you're up his butt 24-7. No, right? It, no, everybody's laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? That's like almost like the go-to one. Right? You only got that because of something, some other awful thing that you did. And maybe you did it. I don't know. But maybe you did that thing. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Does it really matter? Should anybody be saying that stuff about you? No. 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 But I can tell you this. Uh, when pride is attacked, it doesn't just sit back and take it. It typically launches a counterattack, even if it's, you know, never publicly seen. Uh, I'm talking about the reaction that happens between the two ears. If someone was to slander you, maybe you don't respond publicly. But ever cursed someone in your head? What does God have to say about that? I mean, why did you do it in the first place? Why would anyone's opinion of you even matter? So why did you do it in the first place if it wasn't your pride? Right? It was your, you know, I have my, my notes. Your poor little pride got hurt. You see how fragile you are? Like glass. Like glass. Most of us are like glass. Our pride is just right there. And if someone just says the right... I, I honestly think that's why people closest to us can hurt us the most. Because they know exactly where... <laughs> right? They know exactly what button to push. Right, Scott? 
Yeah, Scott's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, most people end up on just, you know, end up on, you know, like just this side of berserk when their pride is wounded. And I'm just talking about their self-esteem being roughed up a little. I mean, it doesn't even have to be something slanderous to get our pride all riled up. It could be cold, hard truth. Up here on the board, Galatians 4.16. Poor Paul. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Yeah, pretty much. Rhetorical question. Oh, now you hate me. Now you hate me. I give you the gospel, you get saved. I tell you a little bit more truth, and now you hate me. I've become your enemy because I tell you the truth. See, that's what pride is. That's what pride does. It vilifies the messenger. I mean, I'm used to it. In any case, this is the, the little test you know, in question is, has your pride ever gotten in the way of your humility? Has your pride ever gotten in the way of your humility? Well, Peter helps us with a solution. Go to 1 Peter 3 verse 9. 1 Peter 3 verse 9. Has your pride ever gotten in the way of your humility? It's a fair question. It's almost rhetorical, isn't it? I mean, come on. Has your pride ever gotten in the way of your humility? Let's read 1 Peter 3 9 for a solution. 1 Peter 3 verse 9. <clears throat> do not repay evil for evil. Enough said. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. For to, to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. In other words, listen, folks. If you return evil for evil, you suffer. Right? You return evil with good, you're blessed. Verse 10, For whoever desires to love life and sees good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Should sound a little bit like Proverbs 17.4. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Verse 12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Again, verse 4 of uh, chapter 17, Proverbs. Remember the evildoer. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Did you hear that? Let me read it again. Let me slow down. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, in other words, for doing the right thing, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, Yet do it with gentleness and respect, verse 16, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, you hear that? When you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. When you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. That's another way of saying, leave it up to the Lord, okay? It's bad enough that some idiot is trying to, what, incite you to, to, to engage you in fleshly battle? It's bad enough? Now you've got to drop your gloves? They're an idiot. Now you're going to become an idiot? You're going to make it worse. They're an idiot. They're slandering you. Let them. If your self-esteem wasn't so fragile... If your self-esteem wasn't so baked into that thing that they're atta attacking, you wouldn't have a problem, would you? You see how it all weaves together? The only reason you have a problem is because your self-esteem is, is buried into that thing that they're slandering. 
Otherwise, you'd be like, hmm, you're wrong. I'll pray for you. You're obviously miserable. Verse 17, again, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Okay, back to our instigating point with King David, whose pride failed him miserably. His pride got in the way of his humility. The question is, does that happen to you, of course? What we just read in 1 Peter 3 was to ferret out a specific instance of where our pride can certainly cause us to stumble. I mean, which of you hasn't been attacked lately? Which of you hasn't? been attacked. It's probably a quicker, it's probably, um, well, you know what I'm saying. Which of you hasn't? That's a quicker survey, raise of hands, than if I ask who has. And just so you know, this church has been, I know some of you know this already, but this church has been under attack for a good period now. I, I kind of expected it. You know, people get crazy after a few months and <laughs> Uh, quarantine or whatever, people start getting weird. People start losing their marbles. It's like, what are you all jazzed up about? Settle down. Right? Is your life that unstable that you can't handle a little uh, alone time with family members? Maybe that's indicative of a bigger problem. Maybe you ought to look at the big picture here. I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just saying, why take it out on a church? Why take it out on a pastor? Why take it out on members of a church? We're just trying to grow in the grace and knowledge of God. So, yeah, it's true. The church has been under attack for some time now. And it is especially evident in how others are treating members of this congregation. That's what I see. Sometimes it's from within. Not this time. A couple little things, but whatever. It's from without. Every time I hear somebody, I hear about what's going on in someone's life, there's someone on the outside of the church pestering someone in the church. So I'm seeing this antagonistic behavior from without. And it almost seems like, you know, COVID is just an excuse or a lever that evil people are using to distract us or even separate sheep from the flock. Just remember this, that the kingdom of darkness doesn't have scruples. <clears throat> And it doesn't fight fair, quote-unquote. The kingdom of darkness doesn't fight fair. Don't expect it, you know, all right, I'll punch above the belt. No, no. No. The kingdom of darkness does not fight fair. So it's going to do whatever it can. It's going to use whoever, it's usually another person, whoever it can to get to you. That's what I'm seeing. You all have people, a variety of people in your lives and they're starting, to, um, they're starting to infect you and affect you as a result. Our response should be to do as Peter wrote about, overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. Paul wrote about this as well. And please keep in mind that these men were writing to develop a mindset that protects us against failing. That's what I'm doing right now as an under-shepherd. I'm, giving, I'm, I'm trying to work on your behalf to develop a mindset that protects you. Go to Romans 12, 14. Romans 12, 14. Romans 12, 14. Again, the Spirit's just trying to develop something through this pulpit this evening in you so that you're protected, so that you don't fail. Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, 
live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. There's not a maybe in there, is there? He says, I will repay. Okay? Verse 20, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Nothing gets back... (laughs) Nothing really burns a person up anyways than just smothering them with niceness, right? Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There you go. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So when someone attacks you to the point where your pride reacts negatively, uh, remember this message this evening. Remember what the Spirit taught you this evening. When someone attacks you, you know it's going to happen. Could happen before you even get home tonight. I don't know. Could happen when you do get home. Maybe your spouse is a jackass. I don't know. Or someone in your family is just a complete turd. (laughs) Right? And they just, you know, they just vomit all over you all the time. And they're wearing you down. Just remember this message. Don't get into it. That's the bait. Don't get into it. Shake it off. Overcome evil with good. Again, Paul said, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And heap burning coals on that person's head. Now, when you react this way, the proper way, the righteous way, to your pride being bruised, you are delivered. You are delivered. And deliverance is what the Bible calls fruit of righteousness. When you react properly, you bear the fruit of righteousness. What did the Bible say? It says you're blessed. You're blessed. Don't ask me exactly how that happens. I know that it happens by the hand of God, but what I mean to say is that it might be different for each one of you. It might be different for each one. What I've learned, for whatever it's worth, is... um, when you respond righteously, it's disarming. People have no other response. They tried to get you involved, but you acted and responded righteously, righteously and the fruit is that they're disarmed. There's no, there's no conflict because you refuse. And maybe they simmer down and things are okay again. Just food for thought. Up here on the board, again, though, this is a recurring principle in our series, the source of your misery. You want the fruit of righteousness. You want to be delivered. You want to be at peace. You want to sleep at night. You don't want to be at odds with people you care about, blah, 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 blah. You want the fruit of righteousness, but you refuse to actually be righteous. Speaking of the fruit of righteousness, this came out on Sunday up here on the board. The source of your misery, second source, second slide. We believers can never really be truly happy if we stand opposed to God, especially once we know better. Too much is given, much is required. We believers can never really be truly happy if we stand opposed to God, especially if we know better. It's the craziest thing. We absolutely know better. And I always think of the fishing line. You know what I mean? You just run out the line for a while before he just goes and he rips a hole in your face, right? Pulls you back in the boat because you're his. But we like to run the line out for a while, even though we know better. Got a big old hook in our mouth, but we like to run that line out, don't we? (laughs) The Bible tells us that we can never truly be happy. As we're running that line out, we're not happy. Because our good conscience is saying, you do know that you're going in the wrong direction, right? Yeah. You do know this is going to hurt eventually, right? Yeah. Well, what are you doing? Why don't we just stop the thing right now and turn around? Get back in the boat. Why don't we make it easy on ourselves? This is something that James wrote about. Go to James 4.16. 
James 4.16. The context here, again, is that there were some puffed up people, you know, that had done well in business or what have you. And James had this to say, because they started getting puffed up. You know how it is. James 4.16. He said, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. What's the evil part? You're boasting, you're putting your self-esteem in things that you've done, business deals, business transactions that you've completed, money that you've made, etc., etc. You boast in those things. That's arrogant. All such boasting is evil. Verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. There's no getting around it. If you know what's the right thing to do and you fail to do it, for, they, for you it's a sin. And we ended up on Sunday with this up here on the board. Don't be a hypocrite. If you know the right thing to do, then just do it. Stop pretending it's this way and you living this way. Just stop. Why? Not, it's not only the righteous thing to do, but what is it? You'll get the fruit of righteousness. You get blessed when you live righteously. Don't be a hypocrite. Last Thursday, we read one of Jesus' famous sermons. Let's review that quickly. Go to Matthew 6, verse 1. Matthew 6, verse 1. Jesus just didn't like hypocrites so much. Do you follow? He just didn't. I don't, I, does anybody really like a hypocrite? Isn't it? It's kind of like, ooh. You know what I'm getting at? I'd rather someone just be a complete jackass and say, yep, I'm a jackass, and say, all right, I can at least deal with you. But hypocrites and swindlers and manipulators and liars and all that stuff, it's just gross. It's, very dis, it's a very dislikable characteristic. Matthew 6, 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have, their rece they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites." For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Go to verse 16. Verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay? Again, up here on the board. Then don't be a hypocrite. All right, let's get back to our primary passage in Proverbs 17 before we close. Let's jump right back into the verse where we left it last time. Go to Proverbs 17, verse 4. We've seen this notion already multiple times this evening in different passages of Scripture. Proverbs 17, verse 4, we have the evildoer. And it's proper to think of this person as abiding in the sphere of Satan, right? The sphere of unrighteousness, even. An evildoer. This is someone who does evil uh, as, a, as a habit, even. Proverbs 17.4 An evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to mischievous tongue. Okay, so we've been focused on the first phrase there. An evildoer listens to wicked lips. There's a dynamic there. Do you see it? There's a dynamic. There's something going on. There's an exchange. There's a an economy, there's a merchandising going on, there's, a, there's an understood trade, there's even a sense of faith 
in the currency itself. You see, there's this evil economy. That's the dynamic. This is Solomon's way of describing the kind of merchandising that transpires in the world economy. An evildoer prefers to exchange currency in the world economy. That's their preference. Do you understand? They live there. They abide there. That's their preference. I want to exchange currency, my currency, what I have faith in. Think of the almighty dollar. It's just a piece of paper. We have to have faith in it to trade it for currency. I have faith in something we would dub creature credit. You know, uh, creature credit. All about me. Um, an evildoer prefers to exchange that currency in the world economy. They prefer to invest, spend, and trade in creature credit. So here's an analogy to help drive this home. <clears throat> Have you ever been to a place of business that only accepts cash? Right? That only accepts cash. But you only have a credit card on you. You ever happened? Oh, we only accept cash, sorry. The other day I saw the opposite. The other day I was in Walmart, and the reverse was true. They, were, they weren't accepting any cash, only credit cards. And the woman in front of me had to put all of her merchandise back because she only had cash. If she didn't have so much, I would have bought it. But she was way over my budget. I'm just saying. I wasn't feeling that nice, okay? So don't judge me. I did feel bad, though. Does that count for something? <laughs> oh, man. So sad. Okay, I'm next. I'm kidding. Come on. Laugh a little. <laughs> uh, anyways. That's, that's, the, that's the thing that I'm talking about with an evildoer. They prefer one type of currency over the other, other, over the other. In fact, such a person won't even accept currency from an economy that, doesn't, that it doesn't abide in, that that person doesn't abide in. They say, no, 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 no. I don't accept that currency here. Do you ever come across something like that? I don't accept that currency. You try to show them grace, they don't accept it. They, they think you're a phony. They... they they call you names. They, they give you that look like, is this for real? I don't trust you. They don't even trust you. It's like they gave you a counterfeit bill, and you're the one with the real bill. It's like they, you gave them a counterfeit, and they're like, no. I only trust people in my economy, other evil people. Right? So that person won't even accept currency from an economy that it doesn't, they don't abide in. For example, if you try to give them God's grace, say by giving them the word of truth, they reject it. They don't want to have that kind of an exchange, only one that uses the same currency. They say, no, 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 that's, that's God's currency. That's grace. I don't, I, that's, that has no value here in my economy. I only accept creature credit. That typically translates into... if. If a grace-oriented person gives a fleshly person something, the very first thing you can expect as the grace-oriented person is something in return. They, they, they cannot live with it. They cannot live without, I've got to give them something. No, you don't. No, you don't. That's the whole point. But that's, but that's what I abide in. That's my economy. My economy is I keep an even scale. You see, you gave me something, I give you something back. I don't feel right unless I give you something back. That's the flesh. That's the flesh. Up here on the board, a person's nature is revealed by the type of advice he accepts. An evildoer listens to a person with evil lips, right? When someone comes along and tries to give an evildoer the word of truth, it is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. You try to give an evildoer truth, by the grace of God nonetheless, and it's unacceptable. It's not acceptable here. Shop clothes, they go pull that thing down. Right? Shop clothes for business. No more. We only exchange creature credit. We don't do this grace thing from God. Different economy, 
right? Be, I guess in a, in a weird way, it'd be like me going home and grabbing some of the money I got from India and trying to go to Walmart and spend it. They'd be like, yeah, we don't, come on, dude. We don't take rupees, right? It's kind of the same thing, right? They, don't, they just don't accept that currency. So when a person comes along, tries to give an evildoer the word of truth, they reject it. It's unacceptable. In fact, if you keep giving them the truth instead of compromising yourself or God's word, they eventually despise you for it. Again, up here on the board, Galatians 4.16. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? I guess so. I guess so. I've said this so many times in the past on this pulpit, but I'll say it again. People in general don't want the truth. Okay? People, as a general rule, in my experience, and I think this is biblically supported, people in general, because the general population is evil, they don't want the truth. Because the truth exists outside of their economy. That goes for unbelievers, but also for believers who have chosen to live in sin for a time. Like David, after you know, his advisor Joab tried to knock some sense into him, this person rejects the truth. And in the end, they suffer for it. Again, that's how I started off this message, right? This is about you. It's about you being delivered. This isn't about the shepherd, the under-shepherd, you know, boom, boom, boom. No, this is about just shaking you up and saying, hey, this is what happens. You suffer if you abide in this awful sphere for a while. Are you still in Proverbs 17? Yeah, look at verse 4 again. An evildoer listens to wicked lips. Amen? Yeah, do you get it? Do you see the dynamic, the, uh, the economy? That's what they prefer. Right? That's what they prefer. Here's some additional food for thought before we close. Up here on the board. Seeking advice even. Most people prefer partiality over integrity when they, exceed, when they seek advice from others. People don't want the truth, so they want you to lie to them, even if it's a smidgen, just to make them feel better about whatever it is they're doing or thinking of doing or have done or have said, whatever it is. They, want, they, they don't call the person with integrity, right? They avoid that person. They call the person who's partial because that's the system, that's the economy that they're currently in. They're in that economy, that evil economy. And evildoers like people with wicked lips. That's who they listen to. They don't want to listen to the person with integrity who's going to say, hey, dude, have you thought about this? Oh, no, oh, no, no. It's okay, sweetie. You're, you're just wonderful. You're just, no matter what, you're just great. They're lying. <laughs> right? Most people prefer partiality over integrity when they seek advice from others. And you know what? According to God, partiality is evil. Partiality is evil. People who abide in it are rightly called evildoers. Evildoers. For the simple fact that they what? Do evil. <laughs> Habitually. Partiality is evil. And people who abide in partiality are rightly called evildoers. Why? Because they habitually do evil. If your status quo is an emotional basket case that all you know how to do is be partial, um, you're an evildoer. I know that's tough to swallow, but that's a fact. Because emotional people don't think straight. Emotional people are partial people. Impartiality is evil. So, if you keep on being partial, impartiality is evil, and you keep on doing it, can we just contract the whole thing and say that that's an evildoer? One word? Yeah. Yeah. That's an evildoer because they habitually do evil. Fair enough. One last thing. This is why a person who abides in partiality never wants to talk to a person who abides in integrity. I'll leave you with that. This is why a person who abides in partiality 
never really wants to talk to a person who abides in integrity. Why? Proverbs 17.4. It's right in front of you. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of studying your word here this evening. Thank you for always being forthcoming with the truth because the truth sets us free. Father, this is a blessing. We just ask for your continued blessings as we take the things we've learned here this evening back to our souls, back to our homes, and then your will be done out to a world that's just decaying, Father. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.